so we come with expectation to hear your word this morning. I pray this in the name of Jesus, our Savior. Amen. As you've heard, we will be continuing our study in Matthew. And if I'm honest, when I was assigned this text, I thought it was going to be kind of easy. Don't commit adultery, got it. Don't lust, got it. Get rid of everything that is tempting you to do this, got it. All right, let's move on. And in my studies in Matthew in the past, I actually haven't really spent time unpacking what Jesus is saying. Because if I'm honest, it's somewhat difficult and hard and awkward and maybe a little uncomfortable. And so typically I'll read this, yep, got it, Jesus, let's move on to something else. Like the Lord's Prayer, I like that. But this morning, we are going to sit with these words. And it may be uncomfortable, it may be hard, but we believe that all Scripture is breathed out by God. It's proper for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, and that includes our passage this morning. So my prayer has been for myself and for you this morning is that we will sit in this uncomfortableness, willing to hear what Jesus is saying and live out what Jesus says. So with that, let's kind of give some background, lay some foundation, set the table, so to say, of what's been going on. We're in the middle of a sermon, of one of the most famous sermons, Sermon on the Mount. Two weeks ago, Stuart preached on Christ fulfills the law in Matthew chapter 5, verses um, 17 through 20. And in that, there is an important verse that we'll keep coming back to over and over. It's this, Matthew five twenty. For I tell you, unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will never get into the kingdom of heaven. Now, maybe for some of us today, this passage doesn't really mean a whole lot. But for the original hearers, this was an important, hard truth. See, for the Pharisees, we have a negative view of the Pharisees, but in reality, if you had a son, you wanted your son to become a Pharisee. These were well-respected religious rulers of the day. So maybe instead of Exchanging that word for Pharisees, maybe it's Jesus saying, think of the most righteous person you think you know. Or maybe some, it's your grandma. Or maybe others, it's John Piper or Billy Graham or Charles Spurgeon or Jonathan Edwards. Think that your righteousness has to surpass those you think are the most righteous person. I don't know about you, but for me, if I look up to my heroes of the faith, and I compare myself, I know we shouldn't, but if I do compare myself, I realize my righteousness is not surpassing any of those heroes of my faith. And so, this can be hard truth. But what Jesus is going to do in our text this morning, and throughout the Sermon on the Mount, is going to unpack how can our righteousness surpass those of the Pharisees. And there is great hope in that. 
There's a second thing that he's going to do as we set the table for what's going to be said. Is he's also going to give us some kingdom ethics. Again, in Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, he talks about the kingdom of heaven. Our title and theme for this series of Matthew is Kingdom Come. We've been exploring this theme of kingdom, and so now we get to see kingdom ethics. What is it going to be like in this kingdom? And so he's going to explore both of these issues. How does our righteousness surpass those of the Pharisees? And what is kingdom ethics? So with that, let's dive into Matthew chapter 5, starting in verse 27. We're going to slowly go through this, making some observation and application along the way. Matthew 5, verse 27. You have heard it that it was said, do not commit adultery. Last week we've heard the same phrase, you have heard it said. This would be a familiar uh, commandment for the people. They would have heard this commandment, do not commit adultery. It's one of the ten commandments found in Exodus chapter 20. But along with that, they would have heard some commentary on this verse as well. And that would have been passed down from generation to generation and be commented upon by the scribes and Pharisees. And some of the comments that they would note on this verse would be something along these lines of do not commit adultery, which means do not have, if you're married, do not have physical sexual relation with someone else. And if you're not married, don't have any sexual relationship with anyone. So if you're a Pharisee, and that is your understanding of this command, it's pretty easy to check that box. I'm righteous. I've been faithful to my spouse. I'm pretty good. Let's check this box. But Jesus says you're completely missing the heart of the law. He says, but I tell you, Jesus is coming with authority. He has authority. He does something that no one else has ever done or said before. He says, I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. This is a verse that we may hear often. Say, yep, got it. Let's move on. This morning, let's stay here a little bit. But I tell you, everyone who looks, this idea of looking is not just you're going about and you just happen to glance up at someone. But this is an ongoing looking. You are continuing looking. You're continuing to stare your gaze upon someone. And the longer we do, we know thoughts start creeping in. Desires, wants start creeping in. Lust starts creeping in. So everyone who looks at a woman lustfully, this idea of lust is this desire, this longing, this wanting of something. It's interesting Luke uses the same Greek word for, that we use for lust in Luke chapter 15. 
This is describing the prodigal son. If we remember that parable, he squanders everything that he has, and where does he end up? In feeding pigs. It says he longed for the food that he was giving the pigs. It's the same word. He desired that food. He longed for that food. So what is lust? It's longing for someone who is not your spouse. What Jesus is communicating, this is where adultery begins. The physical act of adultery is just the outward consummation of what's happening in the heart. You have a longing, a desire, a wanting for someone else. And what we have determined in our hearts already, if the opportunity arises, if the circumstances are right, I have already said yes, that I would have sexual relation with someone else other than my wife or my spouse. This is hard and awkward, but there's so much more that Jesus is saying as well. It's more than just saying yes and committing lust in our heart, but it's also enticing someone for yourself. We're going to explore this theme in a little bit as we approach the end. But Jesus says, I tell you, everyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery with her in his heart. Can you start seeing how even a Pharisee can't no longer check that box? Can you start seeing kingdom ethics come about? Let's go a little further. Let's look at this idea of lust, this wanting desire, longing for someone. See, when we lust, our view of one another is shattered. We no longer see each other as someone made in the image of God, but only as an object to satisfy our needs. Lust distorts how we view one another. In the kingdom, you are seen as a child of God. In the kingdom, you are seen as someone who is made in the image of God. And one day we will be fully restored to that reality. But lust sees one another as an object to be used and to be tossed aside when we're done. Lust also distorts our view and understanding of love. Lust is all about self-gratification and self-desire. When love says, I'm willing to give up myself for someone else. Ultimate example is Christ willingly giving himself up for us. I've heard stories. I've heard from young women that 
He said he loved me while we were in the bedroom, but outside that, he never showed that he loved me. Because that wasn't true love. That was lust. We live in a culture that we think we know what love is, but in reality it is lust. So we see that lust distorts how we view one another. Lust distorts and shatters how we understand love. And thirdly, lust is self-centeredness. It's all about the person who is lusting after someone. It's all about their desires, their wants, their longings. It's all about them. If we are thinking about kingdom, in the kingdom of heaven, it's not about us, but it's all about God. And we get to enjoy the glories of God. You see how lust distorts everything. So lust distorts how we view one another. Lust distorts how we understand and view love. Lust is all about oneself. Complete opposite of what we will expect in the kingdom of heaven. So do you see that this is more than just adultery, but it goes further. It's about committing lust and how it goes against everything that we will see in the kingdom of heaven. It's interesting now Jesus continues going in verse 29. He takes this thought and let's keep going. If your right eye causes you to sin, gouge it out and throw it away. For it is better that you lose one of your parts of your body than your whole body to be thrown into hell. And if your right hand causes you to sin, cut it off. Throw it away, for it is better that you lose one of your parts of your body than your whole body to go into hell. Again, at first when I had this passage, I got it, I understand what he's saying, and I made some assumptions, but then as we take a closer look, some questions arise. So if we gouge out our right eye, just one eye, not both eyes. I still have one eye. I still can see. Meaning my lust is still able to come into my heart. Okay, so how does that relate to what we've just been talking about? If we keep going, if your right hand causes you sin, chop it off. Okay, if I get rid of my right hand, my right eye, um, what does that have to do with lust? What Jesus, I believe, is communicating here is so often we have a temporal perspective, not an eternal one. We have a temporal perspective and not an eternal one. That is better for you to suffer here and now and receive the glories of heaven must have an eternal perspective. Now this is hyperbole. He's not saying to actually go and 
gouge out your eye or cut off your hand. But he's saying, do whatever it takes to avoid such sin. This idea of throwing away, he mentions it twice in our verse. For the eye, he says, throw it away. And for the hand, throw it away. This is like garbage. If I have a pile of garbage, I'm going to throw it into a trash bag. I'm going to take that trash bag, I'm going to tie it up, I'm going to throw it down at my curb. Then on two or Wednesday mornings, I'm going to have a garbage truck come Take that garbage and put it in the garbage truck and drive off so I'll never see that garbage again. There's a separation. And that is what he's saying. Throw it away. What is distracting you? What is taking up your desires, your wants, your lust? Throw it away. And if we're honest, if I'm honest... We may separate ourselves from whatever we're wanting, desiring, longing that's taking away from our desire for God. And we just kind of leave it on the shelf. Say it's out of reach, but if I really need it, I still can access it. And it may be for some this morning, a phone or a tablet or a computer. We can easily take out our phone and with a swipe and a button we can search whatever we want. And for some, maybe we do put some filters on that. But let's be honest, we know how to go about and run around those filters to still see what we want. So what Jesus is saying, if we're taking this idea of cutting things off. He says, no, get rid of it so that you have no access to whatever is distracting you and pulling your desires and wants and longings away from me. Get rid of it. So even if that's getting rid of a cell phone, going down to a basic flip phone, get rid of it. Let's further this point, maybe another example here. I've walked with several men who have committed the physical act of adultery. And it's heartbreaking. One of the things that I keep hearing them say is, I never expected this to happen to me. Another thing they'll say, I never just woke up one day wanting to commit adultery. But let me share a story. This story is similar to many that I've heard. Imagine a young man, maybe married for 12, 15 years. He has a great job. His wife has a good job. They have maybe a couple kids. Marriage, maybe some hiccups along the way, some minor fights here and there. Overall, marriage is going pretty well. This young man, he enjoys baseball. Maybe he's on a softball team after work. And he notices that there's his teammates, their wives, and their um, other girlfriends, and other females are 
around them, supporting them, coming out to watch them. And as they finish the game, they go out to get a bite to eat. And he's having conversations. Those conversations lead into more conversations. And he realizes, wow, I wish that my wife would come and support me. I wish my wife would join us. And he's maybe talking to one lady in particular, and he expresses these desires, these longings. And before we know it, they're starting to text and talk after the games a little more. They're hanging out a little more than they should. And we can all see where this is heading. This isn't an uncommon scenario, but it's scenarios that I have walked alongside men similar to this. Because you see physical act of adultery is this the outward consummation of what's happening in our heart. So to these young men, I would say cut it off. Get rid of that relationship. Delete her number. Don't talk to her. Not because you're rude or you don't want to come off as rude or anything but because you know where your heart is going. You know the evil of your heart. This is what Jesus is talking about. We must live with an eternal perspective. And in reality, what we're saying is that my spouse no longer fulfills my desires. And so maybe if this person who is either taller or stronger or better looking or Whatever that is, maybe they will fill my desires. But you see, we think that this is just a something another human can fulfill, which in all reality, no human could ever fulfill our desires. Only God who created us can only fill our desires. And when we have that perspective, we then can live in light of eternal lens and not a temporary lens. Because all these men that I've talked with, they never were so fully satisfied. And so I realize that we live in a culture that is highly sexualized. It doesn't take long or we don't have to go very far see some model pose or scroll through some news feed or anything to have someone catch our eye. And so what do we do? Do we just build a wall around us and say, yep, I'm just going to stay here? Is it, no, I'm not going to engage in any, with anyone. I'm just going to keep to myself. Well, that's not what we see Jesus doing. But we have to understand that the problem isn't out there. The problem is what's in here. And so what do we do with this? A couple things that I think can draw appropriate application for our text this morning. And as I've been in this text, this is what God has been laying on my heart First and foremost, I must declare and adorn myself for my bridegroom. 
Jesus Christ. I must declare both privately and publicly that I am Christ's. And this is the same that I would do with Heather, my wife. I would declare that I am her husband. I am no longer available. And that's the same with God. We should not even tempt to worship any other God or devote ourselves to any other God. Second, I must call, I'm called to live faithfully to my bridegroom. We realize everything that Christ has done for us to save us. Even while we were unfaithful, He remains faithful. And just as I desire to remain faithful to my spouse, to my bride, in the same way I want to remain faithful to my God. Thirdly, through prayer and reading of His Word and the conviction of the Spirit, I must regularly seek to cut off and throw anything that is enticing me We must do some heart checks regularly. In the same way, if there's other people trying to entice me, trying to pull me away from my bride, I must, again, cut it off. I must earnestly seek where is my heart leading me. We must cut it off and do whatever it takes so we can remain faithful to Christ. Fourthly, I must not lust after Christ, but love Christ. Oftentimes in my life, I've come to Christ, I've come and said, hey Jesus, really could use this right now. I'm really wanting this. I'm really longing and desiring this. Can you do something? And when he, if he, grants me what my prayer request is, thanks God, I'm going back over here. Instead, we should be approaching Christ with love, saying, no matter what, God, I love you because of what Christ has done for me. And so even if you don't answer the prayer the way I desire, I know you still love me. And I love you. And in the same way, I shouldn't just lust over my wife, but I should love my wife, willingly giving myself up for her. She is not just my wife. She's not my wife just to satisfy my desires and longings and wants. But she is my wife who I love. I'm willing to give up my whole self for her, just as Christ willingly gave his whole self up for me. Fifth application that I've been meditating on for my life. I must not seek to entice 
people to me. And this comes both as a preacher and as a husband. As a preacher, I pray that I do not seek the adoration of those who I are hearing me. I pray that you do not come to me as a preacher to find some satisfaction in the words that I preach. But I pray that I'll be like John the Baptist, that I must decrease so he must decrease because I will never satisfy anyone. Only Christ can. And in the same way, as a husband, I must not entice any other woman to want me, to depend on me, to find, try to find their fulfillment in me. We must never try to find satisfaction in the creature, only what we can find in the creator. Finally, this one hits home for me, I realize that I am not righteous. Jesus makes it clear that I am not righteous. And even when I think I could check that box, I realize how how far I fall short. For no one is righteous, not even one. And so how does then my righteousness surpass those of the Pharisees? Nothing that I do. But only through the death and resurrection of our Savior, Jesus Christ. See, we were unfaithful to our holy God. We can no longer be in right relationship with Him. And His justice demands that we have penalty to pay, which is condemnation, which is sentence to hell, a complete separation from him and us for eternity. But Jesus Christ, who remained faithful, even while we were unfaithful, was nailed to a cross. He took on the wrath of God for us and said, it is finished. Death and sin have been defeated, and he exchanged our sinfulness for his righteousness. Paul writes, it is by faith that we have been saved, not by works so no man can boast. Through faith in the work of Jesus Christ and his death and resurrection, again, he has changed our sins for his righteousness, and therefore our righteousness, that is his righteousness, can surpass those of the Pharisees. And our inheritance then will be the kingdom of heaven. And in the kingdom of God, in the kingdom of heaven, we will experience true love and not lust. Where we'll no longer try to find things to temporarily satisfy us, but we will be fully satisfied in Him. He will experience the glory of God forever and ever. And we will no longer walk as unfaithful people, but we will remain faithful just as He is faithful, always worshiping, desiring, longing Him, our Savior. This is glorious news for all of us, and what a glorious hope we have in Jesus Christ, our Savior. So you see, there's so much more going on in this passage. We understand the command of do not commit adultery. 
do we understand that it's, it doesn't start there, it starts in our hearts. So brothers and sisters, I pray that the Holy Spirit is bringing application to your life through the power of His Word. And I pray as we are children of God, knowing that we will enter into the kingdom of God, that He will start preparing us to enter the kingdom of God now. I pray that we will see each other and one another as male and female who are created in the image of God. I pray that we will truly love one another. I pray that we won't try to find our satisfaction in one another, but only in Christ. I pray that we will be a church that is faithful, and so when He comes back, we will be ready. This is wonderful news that our righteousness, not our righteousness, Christ's righteousness that is given unto us does surpass those of the Pharisees. If you would like to talk after the service, I'll be right up here at the cross. Find me, find an elder, find someone with the Let's Pray tags on. We'd love to talk more about this. May we be faithful to Christ as he has been faithful to us. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we praise you, we thank you that because of Jesus Christ,